Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to the Fabacy Keto Podcast. This is episode 26 and this week we have another AMA episode or Ask Me Anything. So Jackie, it's quite exciting. We've obviously made it to another AMA which we're having every 13 or so episodes. Yep, that's right. So this week we... Should I be start? Should I start with... Um, well, Jackie, where in the world are you this week? So, <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be nice if I could say I was somewhere else? But no, I'm still here at home. I can't even remember the last time I went out. How about you? Well, you'll be happy. Well, you'll be happy to know that I did go out um, today, uh, just down to my local market to get some fresh vegetables. So while we're recording, so this is Jackie's morning. This is my afternoon. I've got some lamb shanks in the instant pot um, ready for for dinner excellent i think we're having roast lamb tonight Ooh, oh, that sounds nice so we did find some lamb at the supermarket uh, frozen of course frozen and imported but it was worth the worth the expense just to have have something a little bit different other than chicken or pork yeah nice. on, which has been on obviously high rotation so um yeah so I found a Italian stew slow cooker recipe which I'm speeding up in my instant pot. So using the instant pot rather than rather than the, the oh, I can't get my teeth in. So you're using the instant pot rather than the thermomix. That's yeah, that's right. I mean that's not to say that the thermomix actually got quite a workout yesterday, um, Sunday, and we were doing our weekly meal prepping. So Yes, so rest assured, um, the Thermomix gets a gets a workout. <laughs> I have to love my toys in rotation. There's no one favourite child. I don't want all the other other you know appliances getting feeling sad or missing out. So, um, yeah. so we might do a sous vide chicken breast coming up. So we'll do that with our Anova sous vide. So yeah, don't worry. All my appliances get equally loved. There's no favourite child, but the Thermomix is special. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very tempted, but I'm not sure I'd use it. Well, you might have to get our good friend Jo Dodds to to maybe give you a demo, just to sort of uh, maybe see if she can. I've had a demo. You know, sign you My up. sister's got one as well. So, oh well, there you go. So, so that's fine. I've been to a demo. In fact, right, Jackie. When I went to the de- when we had the demo, uh, it was just my sister and I. My sister had already bought one, and then we had the demo, and she did everything low carb for me. She's very Lovely. good. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, there certainly is some 
excellent low-carb resources that's available through the the various um, Thermomix, you know, chefs and cooks and, you know, recipe developers. And two of my favourite shout-outs to Skinny Mixers and Mad Creations. So they're um, absolutely wonderful. Excellent. Right, Jackie. We better crack on with the questions. We have a couple of questions that we've received for our AMA this episode. And shall you read out the first one? Yes, this one's from Peggy. And she said, why have I stopped losing weight? I lost 30 pounds over a year. Now I'm stuck. Still very low carb, less than 20 grams. Yes, Peggy. I think I think we've all been there. We've hit that plateau or stall and it is so frustrating. Yeah. And I think the important thing first off is to say just keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. But we'll look into a little bit more about what we can do about that. So That's right. Uh so one of the the most important things to remember I think is that our body wants to maintain a state of homeostasis which means when you've reached a weight it's constantly trying to get back to that weight that it was it it thinks it needs to be there because it's been there for some time and when we lose a lot of weight especially if it's quite quickly our body still wants to get back there and I think it's important to just maintain your current weight as it is until your body resets itself with a new set weight. What do you think about that? That's right. And I think the important thing is that your body inherently knows what that is, that set point or that set weight. And it's a concept which I think the first I heard about it was from Jason Fung, and he talked about that. And that's why when we have to keep mixing things up. So we have to constantly keep tricking our body because, as Jackie said, it reaches this homeostasis, which is like a steady state. It's gone, aha, I'm okay now. I'm comfortable. I don't need to do anything more. I'm I'm in my steady state now. And this is where we try and sort of think about, well, what are those inputs to our body that are keeping it in this steady state? So we've reached this you know, status quo. So what are we doing to keep it there? And how much more do you have to lose? So you have to trick it into reaching a new steady state. So a new set point. And this is where we have to think about, are we tracking? It might be good to track for a little while because one of the things is, have you crept up in your carbs? Is that where you're at now? And typically those carb sources, those extra carb sources, are those sneaky carbs that come from maybe too much dairy or nuts and, you know, are you creeping up in your alcohol? So that's some of those things that by tracking, we're just making sure that, yes, we are, as you said, we're keeping at less than 20 grams. Mm. So this is also where um, good friend Terry Lance also mentions about having kept ourselves in a steady state for too long, maybe we need to do some carb cycling. So sometimes our body has reached this homeostasis and we might need to trick it by having more carbs and then going back to less carbs. So there's a thing called carb cycling as well. And we, in our Facebook group, Jackie, we do group fasts. And this is another thing that we get used to is we're in a fasting cycle. So if we keep on fasting and we have 
a regular routine, our body gets used to knowing, ah, yeah, well, Monday, Tuesdays, I'm fasting and then I'm feasting. So maybe you might want to be thinking about mixing things up either for longer fasts or shorter, more regular fasts, like alternate day fasting. Mm. So that's that's another suggestion. Yeah, and I also and I know, you know, mostly I do and I also know two meals a day, but some days I will have something before early, that's mid morning, just to keep things different. So most days I don't have breakfast; I'll just eat at lunch, but occasionally I will have something mid morning to again just not let my body be complacent that it's going to be the same every day. And Jackie, I know you're a real proponent for are you eating enough? So in those two meals a day, are you eating enough? Mm. Yes, because if your body is in starvation mode, then it's not going to let go of any weight. It's going to hang on to it as much as it can and it's going to slow your metabolism. And I really, I'm really so against uh, calorie restriction because I think you're messing up your metabolism so much more than anything else you could possibly do. And I think as women, particularly, you know, we survived the, the skinny the skinny 80s, um, you know, we would have been certainly restricting for long periods of our life as, as young women, you know, who was constantly on a diet. So that constant calorie restriction inevitably has meant that our metabolisms are sort of, you know, slowed inherently because of that, you know, long periods of fasting uh, or you know, and it restrictive years, calorie restriction. Years to bring back several years, I think, to your body Absolutely. back to where it needs to be. I think also But I think for Peggy yeah. I think but I think for Peggy, having lost thirty pounds is really and a great achievement over a year. And you know, she, you know, she should be proud of that. And that's a real great achievement. So my next question to Peggy is how much more does she want to lose? And is that a realistic, you know, objective? And is she inherently already at her body set point? So that's that's another question about her goals as well. Also, I think it's quite typical for you to lose weight for a year and then stop. And, and you may sit there for a while. Could be months before it starts moving again. And I think your body just has to get used to being where it is, which is a bit what we said about the set point, is resetting that set point. And also you need to bear in mind stress and sleep. These are all key factors. Exercise. So maybe it's about changing the exercise that you're doing, different type of exercise. Also swapping that up because if you're doing the same thing, week in, week out, your body gets used to that and you're not pushing it any further. Sleep, as we know, you should be sleeping between 10 and 6 a.m. Ideally, I'm not very good at doing that. And even when I do decide to do that, I don't always sleep. So when we're not sleeping and we're awake in the night, then we have the cortisol rises, which brings up the blood sugar. So there's all sorts of things going on hormonally as well when we don't sleep enough. 
even though Peggy may not be losing weight, she may well still be changing in terms of her body shape. And this is where we're actually tracking, you know, and this is where Jackie will know I'm not a fan of weighing per se, but, you know, measuring, measuring is really important. So maybe while you're staying the same on the scales, your body shape is actually changing. And this is where Jackie was saying about exercise, that, you know, you may still be losing fat, but actually toning and gaining muscle. And as we know, muscle is denser, but smaller than than fat. So this is why measuring is really important um, to do that. So pictures, tape measure around your certain parts of your body do your clothes fit any looser so this is where the arbitrary scale weight is sometimes quite quite meaningless great for a trend but actually meaningless overall Mm -hmm. yeah okay so anything else to add to this question Lou? peggy just keep going you're doing a great job and you should be proud Great advice. So, you're going to read the next question? So, the next question is from Anne, and she asks, do you have an opinion on whether a strict keto diet is more beneficial than a low-carb, high-fat diet for autoimmune disease? Great question, Anne. I'm going to let you answer the, tell everyone what an autoimmune disease is. So an autoimmune disease is when your body recognizes and produces an antibody response to a certain part or a certain tissue of um, of your body. And typically we know from our keto community friends, this is about thyroid and the condition called Hashimoto's. So where there's antibodies against your thyroid gland. But there are other antibody mediated responses to tissues and such as like rheumatoid arthritis so that's to your joints it could be lupus which is connective tissues or even multiple sclerosis so this is where your body is attacking itself and producing antibodies so this is actually an interesting way that your body has recognized a certain part or a protein and it's produced an antibody to to do that so it's quite frustrating because your body has recognized it as foreign and, you know, it's really hard to mediate. Mm. So Anne's question is really, is it strict keto or low carb? And what is the best for this in sort of mediating an autoimmune response or condition? But I would say to Anne, well, it depends on what your symptoms are. So as to where your threshold is and how a low carb which is inherently or keto is an anti-inflammatory diet so what aspects of the inflammation that you're trying to mediate and how far or how much um, carbohydrates is that you consume in order to get that anti-inflammatory response now, Jackie might have some strategies. What's the best way to approach this, do you think? Well, I would, I think it very much depends on the person and what that compliance will be. So, if you can go strict keto and keep your carbs to under 20 grams, then 
that's great. I think that's a fantastic place because we know that keto is anti-inflammatory. We know that people have a lot of um, success when they stay stick, strict keto or even carnival. So some people will go carnival. But I don't think, I guess it depends where Anne is. Has she already been low carb and keto for a while? And therefore, carnivore might be a, a step further that she might want to try, might want to try. Or is she just starting out? So, what's best? I, in my opinion, I would say strict keto would be the place to start. And then as the symptoms relieve themselves, which could be, it could be inflammation, it could be pain, you could notice a difference in energy. You need to look at what works for you. And then you might find that you can up your carbs a little bit. But if sticking to strict keto means that it's going to be really hard for you, then you could do it the other way around and you could start low carb and then bring those carbs down lower until you're in a range where you're starting to see relief from the symptoms. Yeah, it's a bit chicken and the egg, really. And I think the good thing is we've heard, well, no, last week from health and wellbeing coach Simone Cohen about a symptom tracking diary. And I think that that's a great way of monitoring because you know what your condition is and, and what symptoms that you're trying to relieve or to manage. And then by, you know, really finding what your carb threshold is, and what foods are potentially triggering that, then you can actually then, you know, moderate or abstain from those foods. Mm. And it may well end up, as we've seen with Michaela Peterson, you know, with her rheumatoid arthritis condition, you know, she's had to be carnival. So that's how perhaps, you know, she's had to eliminate certain foods that trigger her, um, you know, her autoimmune condition. Mm. And I think so, it depends with, on the condition know, and the person and correct and correct what you know mm. what makes a difference and and what makes your quality of life better absolutely yeah and I think that goes to specifically for what works for rheumatoid arthritis doesn't necessarily mean that that works for Hashimoto's because that's obviously has other aspects to it in terms of thyroid and energy mm. yeah and I guess Simone's fibromyalgia from last week from Simone's fibromyalgia would be classed as an autoimmune condition. Yeah, and that's a chronic, you know, a chronic pain condition from which she had to sort of find out what those foods were inflammatory for her. Yeah. Absolutely. And so if, you know, for her that was obviously, you know, removing the sugar. So, yeah. Okay, so the next question comes from Kim. Do higher ketones mean better weight loss? Well, Jackie, the short answer is no, but for the listeners, for the purposes of the listeners, the long answer is, well, it really depends on, you know, we're looking at measuring a waste product and that waste product, the ketone body, comes from, you know, when we release our fat and we're using fat for energy, it's the byproduct of that particular process. So you might be thinking, well, if I'm burning more fat, then I'm going to have more waste product. Well, that may be the case, particularly if you're doing a longer extended fast. But for, you know, our daily eating, we operate in a certain range and our body becomes 
more and more efficient. As we mentioned in our first response about homeostasis, we become efficient at this adaptive process. Mm. And for many of us who started out on a keto journey and we found that one book, um, which was The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living by Steve Finney and Jeff Follick, has a great picture in there about the optimal range. And our optimal range by these experts is anywhere between 0.5 to 1.5 is obviously at the middle and 3. So three millimoles. It doesn't mean you're doing any better or any, you know, you know, more, you know, grander results if you're burning at four or five millimoles. It just means that you're spilling more. You know, there's more waste product. Mm. But you can still find a threshold that works for you and some more resistant insulin resistant people may only be in ketosis at a quite a low level of 0.3 but they are still burning and using um, the ketones as as part of that oxidative process so in this case more doesn't mean better no and i think it's more around you know watching your carbs and the exercise that you're using to burn it up burn up the sugar that you're taking in will have more of an effect than the actual ketones. That's right. And I think it's it's staying in that steady state as you're actually adapting and this fat adapted process becomes what your body is used to. So using and accessing the fat for fuel when your insulin is low. And as you said, it's about that sort of making sure your carbohydrates are low enough that you're not actually creating those spikes in insulin so your body is able to access the access the fuel yeah great following on from that Gemma was asking about monitoring so we mentioned about the ketone monitoring and Gemma was asking about blood sugar monitoring so both Jackie and I have or do uh, check regularly our blood sugars so Jackie, what what do you use to check your blood sugars? So I've got a Keto Mojo, and well, we'll have the link for that in the show notes. And I get that one because it's a blood sugar monitor as well as a ketone monitor, and I just want to have one machine, and I don't want to be faffing around with two different machines. And I get the strips from the US, which. I think for it, what's more important is um, how much the strips cost. So when you're talking about blood sugar, I think they're fairly cheap. But if you're starting to look at ketones and you look on Amazon, they can be really expensive. So I use the Keto Mojo because the ketone strips are fairly cheap, even with the postage mm. and the packing from the U.S., so I've got both types of machines. I've got a Keto Mojo style machine and the Abbott's. Um, and that's, I bought these both in Australia. So the Abbott's I bought in Australia and the Keto Mojo has a generic version called Life Smart. So, and I was able to access rather than obviously the shipping to Australia at the time. Um, I was able to access what the strips that Keto Mojo uses. 
In Australia, we have a government subsidised scheme for diabetics. And as a result, the glucose strips are very cheap, but we are able to obviously, um, or if you are diabetic, you're able to get that subsidised um, through the government um, universal healthcare insurance. Like Jackie was saying, the ketone strips are expensive. But slightly less than, obviously, what you can buy them uh, on eBay or certainly from the US, uh, the ketone strips in Australia are able to, um, to, to get them quite reasonably. So I have, in the past, I've done pea strips. So to check my ketones when I first started out, I do the blood test monitoring and I have also done the breath testing. How did you find that? I was at, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I got the ketonics. Um, this was after I saw the inventor at uh, Breckenridge at the conference, the low carb conference in Breckenridge. So I thought I'd give that a go. I found the interface, you breathe, you attach it to your computer through your USB and you breathe into it and it registers and it takes a little bit of getting used to and as Jackie you know, eloquently says in her UK-ism, it's a lot of faffing about. <laughs> so I like the blood testing, it's quick, it's simple. Okay, there's a little bit of pain but you get used to it um, Yeah, and I, I like having having the number, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I think the ketones, it really depends on what you're trying to achieve in your data collection. So are you are you in ketosis, yes or no? And you can easily find out with a prick of your finger. And they say that the blood test one is the gold standard for ketone testing. Just to go back to uh, pee testing, pee strips are only good at the start because your body then reabsorbs that particular ketone body. So it's only good for when you're starting out um, on your on your low-carb journey. Yeah, for the first few weeks. And then you, you start adjusting how many ketones you're producing and you don't, you don't weed them out so much. But also going back to the blood sugar monitoring, um, so diabetics will be more familiar with taking their blood sugar. So why is it important for somebody who is not necessarily diabetic to monitor their blood sugar? Well, I find it an interesting experiment to know how I react to certain foods. And this is really a great way of feeding forward and feeding back. So I do get the information to know how certain foods um, reacting to. And this came to, I suppose, the, the fore when I'm eating sweeteners. So I've, I had been doing a lot of baking and when I'm testing in a sort of a mindful testing phase, I, I actually find that I, stay, I tend to stay above my threshold normally, my normal range, if I've eaten certain sort of keto treats and keto foods. Mm. The other thing I've really found interesting was before Christmas when I was eating a lot more protein, but I wasn't exercising and I wasn't using all that extra energy. So I found that, again, I was was a little bit running a little bit higher than what I would normally like. And I think it's important. 
I think it's important to monitor your blood sugar because you can think you're eating great foods. And uh, if we just talk about the standard American diet or the standard Western diet, you'd think, you know, fruit is good for you. But when you start to measure and look at what your blood sugar is doing, then you can say, well, is it really good for me? If that's pushing my blood sugar right up, then maybe it's not as good as I think it is. And we can also talk about a constant glucose monitor. So I used one back in October, November time. And that's where you have a monitor. It's a small needle placed on your arm and you keep it there the whole time and it just picks up the plasma from your skin um, just under your skin and then you can see what's happening at all times of the day and night i believe that we can get them here in the uk you can purchase them so you don't have to have a prescription to get them whereas i think in america you need a prescription that's true. Yeah, I think um, I've seen on some of the Facebook groups that they talk about getting a prescription from their you know, um, physician or their primary care provider and being able to um, to be able to access their insurance, particularly. So in, in Australia, you can buy them over the counter, but again, that's obviously if you're able to access the the diabetic insurance scheme, then you can actually um, you can get that through there. And it's quite expensive. But I, also I think, think it's about it's a hundred and twenty yeah. pound a month. Yes, but it's, it is expensive. It's quite good for just for your knowledge to see what's happening and testing with different mm. foods. That's right. And I think also you're sort of saying about if you're not diabetic, like myself, I'm not. I'm insulin sensitive, but I also have a chronic pain condition. So which obviously is mediated by inflammation. And that's where I see my blood sugars, you know, going up, creeping up. And particularly if I have flares in my psoriasis that I know that instinctively that I've eaten something that has raised my blood sugars, which has caused me to um, to, to have flares as well. Mm. So these are some interesting, interesting insights that come from tracking. And I think all power is, you know, comes from that knowledge and that knowledge obviously comes from the data that we collect. So it's a very useful tool in in terms of, um, you know, tracking your blood sugars and uh, also, you know, to help you with staying on track as well. I was just about to say that. That's I've been the great benefit for me and I don't test as often as I used to nowadays, but it did keep me on track to make sure, particularly with ketones, to to make sure that I had ketones. And nowadays, I'm I'm actually more interested in the blood sugar. How is that? Is that high or low? And I tend to, as mm. you know, be a lot higher than say you are, but it's still it's still within the normal range. But I think the, also the other thing that we need to be saying is that both the blood sugars and the ketones are a proxy so we're reading into those measures as um as a sign of insulin so what's happening to our insulin as a proxy so that's really what we're trying to do is we're being mindful about what foods we're doing in terms of trying to trigger trigger our insulin's yeah. levels and quite often we will look at the ratio between blood sugar and ketones because you could have 
low ketones and low blood sugar and you're going to have a different ratio than if you've got low ketones and high blood sugar or even conversely you could have high ketones and high blood sugar and it's it's probably no different to having i mean ideally we want high higher ketones and lower blood sugar that would be the best place to be but different days you get different results mind all over the place quite often yep and that's really where you're tracking and coming into your data collection and that's yeah that that's something that Andrew, my partner, absolutely loves a good spreadsheet. He just loves a good spreadsheet. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah so it was interesting. You sort of mentioned about the, the glucose, glucose ketone sort of ratios. And I know that when we were having our group fasts and posting our results and we were sort of crunching, crunching the numbers that, um, yeah, we're looking at those particular ratios, uh, for, you know, how optimal we had achieved those results in terms of that from our from our fasting as well so and famously we were looking at um thomas seed seedfried wasn't it who was the cancer the cancer doctor so if we're wanting to measure and have that particular data depending on the condition we can certainly optimize um through fasting and modifying our diet to to get to those ratios which we can work out from having tested our blood for those results yeah and this might be great for Anne with her autoimmune disease to track both and see what symptoms and what effects and how that affects her might be a good way for her to manage how she's eating is to see what's happening good and it's just another yeah and it's another data input you know inputting into the system so and sort of obviously having having data to, to know what the effects are of yeah. those inputs. And we quite often use Dr. Boz's ratio. And she says, ideally, you want to be waking up with a ratio, um, with a result of under 80. And I haven't got to hand how she does that. But she's using the American units, yeah. and not the millimoles. So yeah. she uses that. So, yeah. We can include the link in the show notes to her videos. Yeah. So is there anything else we need to add to this topic? Knowledge is power. That's really it. Knowledge is power. Okay, so our next question is from Leanne. And she says, I'm worried about loose skin. Can I do anything to help? You've got you've mentioned some Kenberry YouTube videos. Tell us about those. So the other day I was watching Dr. Ken Berry and he was talking about, and it was a really great reminder to me about loose skin. It's it's like a nemesis to me. And so many people, as you're reading about weight loss, obviously, particularly with rapid weight loss, that you are going to end up with loose skin. There's a tension there, of course, because you're meant to love the skin you're in, but it's just like, I can't. I'm struggling <laughs> with the fact that I have this loose skin. So just to remind the listeners, you know, I have lost 130 pounds, you know, which is 60 kilos. So there are parts of my body which are looser than others. 
And so watching Ken Berry speak about, you know, managing or how to manage this. And, of course, it was interesting because he was talking about fasting. And as, as you know, we have these group fasts. And it's really good because the process of fasting is to sort of get to the trigger of autophagy, which is recycling those proteins. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of loose floating proteins around on my body. So that's where the fasting is meant to help with those recycling of proteins. Ken also mentioned that every three months your body recycles its skin. Yeah. So you have new skin. And it's like, okay, well, that's good. So along with fasting and just time, you will hopefully have, have shrinkage. But it's still obviously part of the process is it took a while or years for me to become that morbidly obese woman and there's been this process of me losing weight and now in this maintenance phase. So I am eternally struggling with the the look of the loose skin as well as obviously knowing that it's going to take time through fasting as well as every three months is going into this new skin regeneration process. So in the end, he did recommend microneedling. He said that there is a small effect of microneedling, not entirely sure what that is, or obviously the ultimate, obviously you can get skin removed um, through plastic surgery, which has a whole, obviously, other risk assessment such as you know, post-operative complications, infections, and depending on how you scar, you know, what it is that you want to do. So that's a long and complicated um, answer to what can you do, fasting and time. Yeah, regular fasting, I would say, so that you're – and probably you need to go at least 40 hours, I would say, 36 get to, to get to that 36 autophagy to 40 hours to, get, to start regenerating yeah. those proteins. Yeah, absolutely. But what I really want to say to Leanne, it's a struggle, or certainly from, from for me, it's a struggle to love the loose skin, but it tells a story. And we have that wonderful interview that we had with Daisy that that loose skin is part of you, it's part of your journey, it's part of who you are and, you know, where we're going, oh, I don't like that part of you, that is still part of that journey. We need to love where we've come from in order to to really embrace who we are and where we're going to. So, you know, we need to, to be compassionate to to that part of ourselves and not, you know, yeah, be agitated and and. Yeah. yeah, frustrated with that. And remember that when we were fatter, that was doing something for us, quite often protecting us in mm. some way or other. And so that yep. was our body looking after us in those yep. certain situations. And I think choosing the plastic surgery route is you do really need to think about it because we quite often think we'll get rid of the skin and then we forget about all the scarring. So you have to weigh up what is worse for you, the skin or the scarring, because the scarring can be quite bad. 
especially you know if I've known people that have, have their arms, their bellies, their legs all done, and then now they've got massive scars everywhere. So definitely a consideration. Yeah, it, it is. It certainly is a trade off, and you know that's a different a different result is obviously loving loving that modification as opposed to having obviously you know yeah and that's only a decision that that you can make at the time there are obviously reasons medical reasons for um for that that you can well not medically justify that um so those that have lost a lot of weight off their breasts and having breast lifts so that causes excoriation in folds and things so there can be medical justified um, reasons to have the have the plastic mm. surgery you know for restorative reasons uh separation of your abdominal rectus muscles particularly from women um obviously like you you've had multiple birth pregnancies you have that separation so with that I had skin, multiple births um, but only that. one pregnancy <laughs> well, sorry multiple multiple babies one pregnancy but um yeah, yeah. but that's there there could be medically justified reasons for that and we don't want to take away that particular um option for women so or persons that that yeah. have that okay we're Coming up to the last question now from Rob. And he asks, are ground almonds the same as almond flour? And I'm guessing he's talking in terms of baking. Yeah, and there is an interesting, um, I suppose there's a a nomenclature, uh, a naming way that in terms of the, the manufacture of almond products so depending on the almond whether it is one whether it is peeled or unpeeled and two whether it's cooked or uncooked so depending on um, whether it's peeled and cooked you will end up with a finer flour so that's the almond flour so your ground almonds or your almond meal is an uncooked and unpeeled almonds so it tends to be coarser now in your baking and your cooking depending on what you're doing whether it's like a pie crust or you're doing it as a cake it will affect obviously how much moisture and also the flavor and the color particularly Mm. so yeah so in a pie base or a quiche base you know it doesn't matter if it's an almond meal so that's that's fine in terms of you know it's going to sit on top underneath something so something on maybe a cheesecake correct yeah but you know you'll add a nuttier like a nuttier flavor so but if you're making a like a slice or that sort of thing so you wanted to add your vanilla or your other flavors your chocolates those sorts of things then obviously the almond flour will be will be better. It's finer and it'll be less, perhaps not gritty, but of course if you're making a slice or a cake, mm. for instance. Yeah. Okay. So as a suggestion, you can make your own at home because I know um, for Jackie in the UK, it's particularly expensive to buy um, almond flours and meals. So I was suggesting that she goes to um, a nut wholesaler and you can buy your blanched almonds, particularly and mill, mill that or grind that at home um, if you're looking to do that. And I guess it depends how much you're going to use because I don't bake that much because I try not to have too many nuts. So they'd probably go off. I quite often throw nuts away because they've gone off by the time I get to finish them. But another great tip is to store them in the freezer. 
Yes. And I was sort of comparing and contrasting with Costco in Australia where there's, you know, we have big bags, like about a kilo bags of, of almond flour, which is fantastic for those keto bakers out there. Mm, great. I think our local supermarkets tend to do the almond, ground almonds rather than the almond flour. Mm, that's what I remember. Yeah. So that's all the questions we've got this week. So, Jackie, where can we get the show notes for this episode? So the show notes will be at www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 026. And Jackie will look forward to episode 39 um, for our next AMA uh, session, which we will be able to, you'll be able to submit your questions through the, the link and the form. And um, I'm sure that we'll post it around on social media for, for people to be able to submit their questions. Yes. And we can take questions now. So if you if you have a question now and you're happy to wait 13 weeks, then feel free to send them in. Great. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you, Lou. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish can you recommend a guest we can interview if you can click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation would you like to join our facebook group search for fabulously keto on facebook our facebook page is called fabulously keto and you can follow us there or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto One. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto One and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. <laughs>